Welcome to this week's Digest edition of the Evening Times. From Thursday the 29th to Wednesday the 4th of April 2018. Read by volunteers at Q and Review Print Speaking to the Blind at our studios in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre. Due to the Easter holidays, there will be no articles from Friday the 30th of March or Monday the 2nd of April in this recording. Coming up on Side 1. Firefighters tackle early morning blaze in Barhead. Armed officers assist cops with dawn raids in Milton and Springburn. Silky Hall Street fire could be opportunity to invest in areas to clean. Ken Dodd. Thousands give colourful farewell to much-loved comedian. More than 250 Glasgow police officers attacked in one year. Calls for Glasgow Green bonfire night date change rejected. Woman in Stockport Court overclaims she buried father in back garden. Katrina Stewart. Fly-tipping is the least of our environmental worries. Girl 17 dead and boy 16 fighting for life after night of violence in London. Elaine McNeil. Carer who died during Beast from the East to have a ward in her honour. Anna Chancellor on Agatha Christie drama Ordeal by Innocence. Nicola Sturgeon talks about child poverty. Glasgow City Council ordered to inspect schools after wall collapse. Police cordoned off Castle Milk Street as they deal with ongoing incident. Stunning piece of Glasgow Queen Street history uncovered in station facelift. This article from the Evening Times News on the 29th of March 2018. Firefighters tackle early morning blaze in Barhead. This article was unattributed. Firefighters are on the scene of a blaze in Barhead. Emergency services were called to an address in Blackbriars Road, thought to be Wedget Plant, at around 4.46am on Thursday morning. Scottish Fire and Rescue Service sent four appliances and the building fire which is still burning this morning. No casualties have been reported. Firefighters remain on the scene. More to follow. This article was unattributed. The Evening Times. On Thursday, the 29th of March, 2018. News section. Armed officers assist cops with dawn raids in Milton and Springburn. This breaking news article by reporter Stacey Mullen. Armed officers assisted cops with dawn raids in Milton and Springburn. Police Scotland targeted three addresses in the early hours of Thursday as part of an ongoing operation. They received warrants to search properties in Mingulli Street, Milton and View Park Road and Springburn Road in Springburn. A 28-year-old man was arrested in connection with the incident. Police Scotland said inquiries are continuing. This breaking news article was by reporter Stacey Mullen. This article from the Evening Times News on the 29th of March 2018. Silky Hall Street fire could be opportunity to invest in areas to clean. This article by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. It is hoped that the fire that destroyed Victoria's nightclub can become an opportunity to invest in Silky Hall Street and revive the streets to clean. The pedestrian precinct will see more dramatic changes with the imminent demolition of the old BHS site. An application has been approved to bring down the building, which faces the fire-ravaged Victoria's block. Permission has been granted for a glass-fronted 12-storey office and retail development on the site which borders Sucky Hall Street, Renfield Street and Bath Street, one of the biggest single-store sites in the city. 
it will include a smaller block on Sucky Hall Street with the taller office block on Bath Street and a new public square space in the centre. No exact time scale has been put on the demolition, but it is understood work is expected to begin soon. Some have said the demolition together with that of the buildings in Sucky Hall Street damaged by the fire offers an opportunity to invest in one of Glasgow's most famous streets which has suffered decline in recent years. Writing in the Evening Times this week, Susan Atkin, leader of Glasgow City Council, said while the priority is the present and the immediate challenges that affected businesses and staff of the city must look to the future. She said in the longer term we will together see how we can turn this this adverse city into an opportunity for the iconic street. Others want to see public cash invested to revive Sucky Hall Street following the fire. Paul Sweeney, Glasgow North East Labour MP, said The loss is a real blow to Sucky Hall Street as this block was one which still had retailers in it. City deal money is being used just now for the Charing Cross end of the street. We need to extend that to the lower end of the street. We need to redirect funds to ensure this doesn't become a missing tooth in the already decaying mouth of Sucky Hall Street. There is a reappraisal for the city deal funding and we want to avoid a long-term derelict site. The last thing we need is a situation like we had in Candle Rigs with the old Coldberg site that Selfridges were supposed to move into. Mr Sweeney said he would like the sandstone facade of the Victoria building to be saved as possible. He added too much of Glasgow's architectural heritage is being lost to fire. This article by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. The Evening Times on Thursday the 29th of March 2018. News section. Ken Dodd. Thousands give colourful farewell to much-loved comedian. This article was unattributed. Thousands have gathered to say a final tatty bye to much-loved comedian Sir Ken Dodd. Stars including Jimmy Tarbuck, Les Dennis, Roy Chubby Brown, Claire Sweeney, Ricky Tomlinson, Tom O'Connor, Stephanie Cole, Miriam Margoyles and Stan Boardman joined former BBC chairman and ITV executive chairman Lord Michael Grade and former BBC director general Lord John Burt, as well as fans, family and dignitaries at Liverpool Cathedral, to pay their final respects to the comic who died at his home in Naughty Ash earlier this month, aged 90. The cathedral, which has a capacity of 2,700, was full for the ceremony, with the congregation, including Diddy Men and a dog in a pram, and hundreds of mourners gathered outside, where the service was broadcast on a big screen. Fans had lined the streets as a horse-drawn carriage bearing his coffin, with a bouquet of yellow sunflowers atop, and one of his famous trademark Diddy Men made its way from Naughty Ash to the cathedral. Tickling sticks lined their approach to the cathedral and were placed on landmarks, including Liverpool Town Hall and the Beatles statue on the pier head in tribute to the entertainer. Tarbuck described him as perhaps our city's greatest hero. He said, I'm pleased for Ken, there's yet another full house. Tarbuck, who spoke before reading a passage based on Psalm 139, said he had met Sir Ken 57 years ago when performing and just fell in love with him. He added, he sang happiness because he gave happiness. Irish comic Jimmy Cricket paid tribute to one of the most different, original, innovative and gifted comedians. He said, Ken always said his gifts, like his talents, were from God, and comedians like Ken, they only come once in a lifetime. We thank God today that he came during our lifetime. Actress Stephanie Cole, who appeared in Open All Hours and Coronation Street, told the congregation this month had seen the loss of two geniuses, 
Stephen Hawking and Dear Doddy. She said, Both introduced us to universes we could not have imagined, and both had very original notions of time. Close friend and author John Fisher described Sir Ken as a joking, jumping, singing, skipping, verbal and visual whirlwind of laughter. He said Ken Dodd was, no contest, the complete comedian, our greatest entertainer. But he was more. He was a life-enhancing force of nature. Tributes were also paid by his great-nephew and godson, Alex Otley, and friend, Peter Rogan. Prayers were led by the Reverend Julia Jessen, vicar of St John the Evangelist Church in Naughty Ash, where Sir Ken was a member of the congregation, and the commendation was given by Bishop of Liverpool, the Right Reverend Paul Bays. Acting Dean of Liverpool, Canon Miles Davies, said the service was a wonderful tribute to someone who has spent his life persuading us all to exercise our chuckle muscles. In reference to the length of the comedian's shows, he joked that the congregation would not be missing the last bus home after the funeral, although the service did run for 30 minutes longer than expected. The coffin was followed by the Diddy Men as it was carried out of the cathedral to applause. A private interment was due to follow the ceremony. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News on the 29th of March 2018. More than 250 Glasgow police officers attacked in one year. This exclusive by reporter Stacey Mullen. Callous city criminals attacked hundreds of Glasgow cops on the front line last year. Figures obtained by the Evening Times through the Freedom of Information Act revealed that 253 officers were attacked during 2017. One officer was left with a dislocated finger while others were subjected to bite wounds, bruising, soft tissue injuries, cuts and grazes and contact with spittle after dealing with incidents on the front line. But the Scottish Police Federation claims figures could be higher with many cops not reporting such incidents. Paul Connolly of the Scottish Police Federation said, We did our own survey which revealed officers aren't always reporting when they get assaulted, which is incredible. Part of my duties is actually to look through all the incidents and be notified when any officer is injured, and they are continually being assaulted. A survey published in November by the Scottish Police Federation, which represents 98% of police officers in Scotland, revealed that 51.31% of cops do not record all acts of violence against them. Police Scotland also changed the way crime against officers is recorded in April the 1st, 2017, the force's health and safety changed how they record the categorisation of assaults where contact has been made but no injury was reported. Previously, these were considered as near misses. The Scottish Police Federation believe that more officers are needed on the street and more support from the courts. Paul added the protective equipment exists now. It didn't 20 years ago. There are forces down south who have introduced a taser and they have seen reductions in officer injuries. The figures obtained cover up to December the 31st and are higher than the previous periods of 2016-17 to 17, with 217 assaults were recorded. In the 2015-16 period, a total of 158 assaults were recorded. The city's top cop, Superintendent Brian McKinnelty, said the matter is considered seriously. He said any assault on a police officer is a significant matter and considered seriously. It can take the form of a physical assault or a verbal assault. The safety of our officers is a priority. Officers are appropriately trained to a high level. 
and are issued with personal protective equipment and receive regular refresher training. Such a regime of training helps officers deal with many situations they can become involved with, which can be violent, confrontational, emergency response scenarios. Regular liaison takes place with staff associations, including the Scottish Police Federation, around the issue of assaults on police officers. This exclusive by reporter Stacey Mullen. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 29th of March 2018, News Section. Calls for Glasgow Green Bonfire Night date change rejected. This article by Maxine MacArthur. A desperate attempt to save the annual Jumtrapel Winterfest event has been refused by Glasgow Green organisers. Councillor Paul Carey and Bailey Malcolm Balfour joined forces to secure a future for the popular Winterfest event, which is held in Drumchapel Park each year. The duo, alongside Police Scotland, met with Glasgow Life Director Bridget McConnell to propose switching the official city event to November the 4th. However, organisers confirmed to the Evening Times while they will consider the option for next year's event, 2018 Guy Fox festivities will go ahead on November the 5th as planned. A spokesman said... We will continue to work with our partners and remain committed to ensuring that Guy Fawkes Night celebrations are staged safely across the city. Going forward, the proposals put forward will be discussed by the Glasgow Events Board. However, it was agreed that the event on Glasgow Green on November the 5th will take place as planned. Speaking ahead of the meeting, Councillor Carey said, If Winterfest is moved, we will return to the bad old days where rough bonfires will begin to spring up across the northwest of the city. The emergency services will also be stretched to the limit, as they were pre-Winterfest. A precedent has been set by Glasgow Life in previous years, when they have moved the Glasgow Green display. The event is under threat due to antisocial behaviour outside the event. Despite an overall decline in trouble since the event began ten years ago, recent years have seen surrounding streets plagued with youth violence and dangerous handling of fireworks. The need for a high-profile police presence at Glasgow Green and elsewhere throughout the city means police are being stretched too thin for both events. This article was by Maxine MacArthur. This, this article from the Evening Times News on the 3rd of April 2018. Woman in Stockport Court over claims she buried father in back garden. This article was unattributed. A woman accused of murdering her father and burying his body in her back garden is set to enter pleas. Barbara Combs is accused of killing Kenneth Combs 12 years ago along with preventing his lawful and decent burial. The 63-year-old at Matlock Road, Reddish, Stockport, faces the charge of murder. Allegedly on January the 8th, 2006, when Mr Combs would have been in his late 80s and preventing the burial between then and January the 10th, 2018. She is also accused of fraud by false representation between January the 15th, 2017 and January the 10th, 2018 by dishonestly making a false representation, sending official letters in the name of Kenneth Combs, intending to make a gain by claiming monies. The final charge is obtaining a pecuniary advantage by deception between January the 7th, 2006 and January the 15th, 2007, by making a false representation that she was a carer for Kenneth Combs. On Tuesday, Combs will appear at Manchester Crown Court via prison video link for a plea and trial preparation hearing. A two-week trial has been previously set for July the 9th. This article was unattributed. Remember, you no longer need to receive a weekly digest service on tape, but can access more daily content via our website, 
www.qandreview.com forward slash free podcasts, accessible via your computer, tablet or mobile device. The Evening Times, on Tuesday the 3rd of April 2018. Opinion section. Katrina Stewart, fly tipping is the least of our environmental worries. This article by columnist reporter Katrina Stewart, originally published on Monday the 2nd of April 2018. There's nothing to make you feel more youthful and carefree than a crisp spring afternoon walking through a forest, the frog spawn turning puddles into great pools of jelly, the birdsong a glorious soundtrack. There's nothing to make you feel old before your time than stooping every few feet to pick up someone else's rubbish. I'm one of these people who's travelled around the world and back again, but barely knows a single spot of her own country. I'm trying to fix that. Last year it was a cycling trip across the Hebrides. This year it's day trips. Last weekend I went up to Aberfoyle and went walking in Queen Elizabeth Forest Park. I couldn't believe how much litter there was. Plastic bottles, cans, bags, crisp packets. The other week I was driving along Coatbridge Road in Bargeddy when the passenger window of the car in front rolled down and a can of iron brew came flying out onto the road. That sort of thing seems bad enough in an urban environment, but when people are careless and thoughtless somewhere so beautiful it feels worse somehow. The charity Keep Scotland Beautiful put out figures last week showing the number of littered verges has risen from 48% to 75% over the last 10 years. What's wrong with us showing such contempt for our environment and for the environment at large? So David Attenborough issued a stark warning on Blue Planet last week. Surely we have a responsibility to care for our Blue Planet. The future of humanity and indeed all life on Earth depends on us. As with so many things, the most passion and good sense comes from young people. At Sunnyside Primary School, the Ocean Defenders Club has been working to raise awareness of the damage plastics do to the environment. Their campaign to ban plastic straws is gathering pace with restaurants, the City Council and even the Scottish Parliament signing up. The pupils are turning their attention to banning balloons and sky lanterns next. I remember being really passionate about saving the planet when I was little. I wonder if that's common to all children. Damaging the planet is a topic we can all grasp, but as we get older and life gets in the way, we stop caring quite as much. There's less of an urgency to it. Recycling drops down the list of priorities. Remembering your bag for life and your reusable plastic cup take up too much headspace when there are so many other things clamouring for attention. It can also feel slightly abstract. You put your plastic bottle in the main bin and nothing immediate happens. It's about asking people to understand that every little action counts to prevent something they can't actually see. Will the direct message from Sir David change anyone's behaviour? Will the campaigning of the Sunnyside Ocean Defenders? By the time these young people grow up and become responsible adults who do all the right things we don't bother about, the damage will be done. Cajoling doesn't work. Reasoning isn't working. Compulsion doesn't always work. Fly tippers are hard to find and fine. So, what do we do? Do we start giving people financial incentives? Something needs to change. Having those of us who care pick up after everyone else is not a long-term solution. This article was by columnist reporter Katrina Stewart. This article from the Evening Times News on the 3rd of April 2018. Girl 17 dead and boy 16 fighting for life after a night of violence in London. This article was unattributed. A 17-year-old girl has died and a 16-year-old boy is fighting for his life after two shootings in London. Police were called to reports of the first incident in Tottenham, North London, at 9.35pm on Monday. Officers found a teenage girl whose identity has not been disclosed. 
with a gunshot wound in Chalgrove Road, a resident street near Northumberland Park Station. Despite the best efforts of the London Ambulance Service, she was pronounced dead at the scene at 10.43pm, a Scotland Yard spokeswoman said. Our next of kin are aware, and a crime scene is in place. No arrests have been made at this stage. Less than half an hour after the alarm was first raised in Tottenham, police were alerted to another shooting about three miles away in East London. The Metropolitan Police said officers were called to reports of gunfire in Markhouse Road on Walthamstow around 10pm. On arrival, they found two young victims suffering from gunshot and knife wounds. The Scotland Yard spokeswoman said a 16-year-old boy was found with gunshot injuries. He was taken to an East London hospital where he remains in a critical condition. A second victim, aged 16, has been taken to an East London hospital with stab injuries. We await an update on his condition. Launching inquiries into the violence, the Met said no arrests have been made and the incident in Tottenham is not being linked to the later shootings and stabbing in Walthamstow. Local Labour MP Stella Creasy tweeted, Walthamstow can confirm tonight we have had another serious incident involving shootings and stabbing. I appreciate this is very distressing. I will share more information as and when have from official sources, so only want to share what is confirmed. The incidents come amid concerns of a rising violent crime in the capital. On Sunday, a 20-year-old man became the 31st victim of knife crimes in London so far this year. He was fatally stabbed moments after leaving a bar in Wandsworth and died in the street. On Thursday, the family of Abraham Badru, 26, who was shot down in Hackney, East London, on March 25th, warned that gun culture is becoming rampant in our community. Detectives from the Metropolitan Police's Homicide and Major Crimes Command are investigating Monday night's incident. A post-mortem examination will be carried out on the teenage girl in due course, the force said. Anyone with information is urged to contact police on 101 or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800-555-111. This article was unattributed. The Evening Times on Tuesday, the 3rd of April 2018. News section. Elaine McNeil, carer who died during Beast from the East to have a ward in her honour. This article by columnist reporter Katrina Stewart. A carer's award is to be named in memory of tragic Cordia worker Elaine McNeil. Elaine died while on her way to work during the Beast from the East storm last month, leaving behind a devastated family. Now the Outstanding Care Awards 2018, based in Devon and Cornwall, will name a gong for Elaine after being touched by her story. Organiser Kat Green said, We were really caught by the fact that she was a carer and the comments that were made about her being so lovely. So when it came to naming an award, we thought, what about Elaine and her story? The Evening Times told in early March how Elaine had been found in the snow in one of the worst days of the snowstorm. Elaine, who had 15 years of experience, was found in Kippen Street after her manager used a mobile phone tracking system to find her. Sadly, the mother was found dead at the scene. Kat said Elaine's story resonated with her staff in England. She had care workers walk for three hours in order to get to their clients during March's storm. Kat, who started working in the care sector at the age of 14, added, Some of my staff were determined to get to a care visit, 
Even though the visit is only 30 minutes long, they walked for up to three hours through the snow. That's some phenomenal work being done. It's a very difficult balance for them because they know their client is at risk if they do not carry out the visit, but then they have to ask if they're taking too great a risk themselves. But the client always comes first. Care provider Mears Group, which is based in Scotland, said it would sponsor the award. The closing date for applications is April 27, 2018, and the awards will be held in Torquay in Devon on June the 8th. This article was by columnist reporter Katrina Stewart. This article from the Evening Times News on the 3rd of April 2018. Anna Chancellor on Agatha Christie drama Ordeal by Innocence. This article by columnist and senior features writer Susan Swarbrick. Anna Chancellor is fresh from her hairdressers, gently patting her newly cut and blow-dried looks. I had to say, if you wash my hair and blood pours down the drain, don't worry, it's not real, she says, her blue eyes tinkling with merriment. When we met in Glasgow, the actress, who shot to fame as jilted duck face in the 1994 rom-com Four Weddings and a Funeral, is in the midst of filming the BBC adaption of Agatha Christie's Ordeal by Innocence. The ensemble cast for the big-budget drama, which began on Sunday evening, includes Bill Nye, Morvan Christie, Clinor Tomlinson, Ma- Matthew Good, and Alice Eve. Anna, 52, plays Rachel Argyle, a wealthy philanthropist and mother of five adopted children set in the 1950s. The action unfolds at the family estate, Sunny Point, shot at Ardgoan Estate near Inverkip, and in true Christie style, murder is on the cards. Barely have the opening credits finished rolling when the first victim is claimed, Rachel bludgeoned to death with a whiskey decanter in her study. Anna has spent the morning playing dead, lying on a stretcher with a sheet covering her face. Bill, her on-screen husband Leo, was also in the scene. He had to kiss my corpse, which really made me laugh, she says. I was being carried downstairs on a stretcher. I was hanging on the stretcher as these poor ex-policemen were carrying me, and I was a little bit heavy for them. I was shooting off it and hanging on like this. She mimics gripping the sides with white knuckles. Then at the bottom I had to take an in-breath of air as Bill takes off my shroud and kisses me. At that time, I felt totally hysterical. So she was in danger of corpsing, to use the acting terminology, while being a corpse. Exactly, I thought. If I start laughing now while Bill is kissing me, I'm never going to stop laughing. Cleaning myself up afterwards proved equally amusing. It was quite funny. Having a shower, she says, I was washing all the blood out of my hair and it was just like pouring down. It was like psycho. When the stark warning to her hairstylist appreciated, she did say, Oh my God, there is blood caked behind your ear. Anna hoots with laughter. Ordeal by Innocence was due to be shown in December last year but was shelved after Ed Westwick, who played Mickey Argyle, faced allegations of rape and sexual assault in the US, dating back several years, while the actor has strongly denied. Christian Cook replaced Westwick and large sections were reshot in January. None of that has yet unfolded when I meet Anna. We mull over how life can come full circle. 
Her first acting job was in another Agatha Christie murder mystery, Witness for the Prosecution, at the Pitlock Festival Theatre in Perthshire in her mid-twenties. Anna played a court stenographer for six months, a role without a single line. I used to write continuous thoughts. My stream of consciousness, she recalls, it was absolutely filthy, really dirty. I realised that I was a filthy-minded person. I was getting my equity card, she adds. We lived in the Highlands. That was with my daughter's father, who has sadly died now. Jock, or Scott, who was a poet. Agatha Christie has been a recurring theme throughout Anna's career. She did an episode of Marple in 2006 and appeared in a 1993 instalment of Poirot, playing the detective's great unrequited love, Virginie Mesnard. Oh, you know much more than me, she laughs. I forgot I was the love of Poirot's life. You know how Poirot wears violets in a brooch? I gave him those. It was a flashback as Virginie. Her earliest memories of Agatha Christie were while attending St Mary's Convent, boarding school in Dorset. She wasn't allowed TV, only to watch Top of the Pops, but on the feast day they would screen an Agatha Christie film, the old-fashioned black and white ones. I remember we saw Murder Most Foul with Margaret Rutherford. There were a few others, all with her, and I loved those. Fast forward a few decades and it was Anna gracing our screens in a suspense-fuelled Christie who done it. Would her younger self have believed this? Never, she says. So much of being an actress you can never have imagined. The first big TV role was in Sky Sci-Fi Soap Opera Jupiter Moon in 1990, which led to the famed Bayek It's Gorgeous gondola advert for Boddington's and then four weddings and a funeral. Other career highlights include Pride and Prejudice, Cavanier QC, Tipping the Velvet and Spooks. Anna is a joy to interview. She speaks her mind and doesn't feel the need to talk in soaring sound bites. I admire the bright red raincoat hanging over the back of her chair. A bargain, £50 from a charity shop in Hindland, she enthuses, it's a Burberry. That would cost £600 brand new. The London-born actress has cruelly enjoyed being based in Glasgow while filming Ordeal of Innocence. I stayed in the West End, she says. I have walked and walked through the back streets, Kelvin Grove and into all the museums. I went to the World Pipe Band Championships and spent a lot of time wandering around talking to people. For millennials, the term duckface means pouting for a mobile phone selfie, but for Generation X, duckface will always be Anna. Is that me over? This is so sad, she jokes. Although Anna insists she loves ducks, I do, and I don't mind duckface. It put me on the map. Our deal by innocence continues on BBC One, Sunday, 9pm. Watch episode one on BBC iPlayer now. This article by columnist and senior features writer, Susan Swarbrick. The Evening Times, on Tuesday, the 3rd of April 2018. News section. Nicola Sturgeon talks about child poverty. This is an exclusive article by columnist and First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. 
There can be no greater responsibility for any government than ensuring that all young people get the best possible start in life. It's totally unacceptable that, in a country as wealthy as the UK, any child should be living in poverty. But the latest figures show that, over the last three years, almost one in four children in Scotland were living below the poverty line once housing costs are taken into consideration. These aren't just numbers on a page. Behind every figure lies a human story, a child whose living environment, education, health, their entire life chances are being limited by poverty. Of course, many of the key powers relating to tackling poverty remain reserved to Westminster. And with the Tory government currently engaged in the biggest assault on the welfare state since its creation, no one should be seriously surprised that figures show poverty to be rising. As long as the Tory government continues down this path, which they seem intent on doing despite evidence of the damage they are doing, the Scottish government will always be fighting poverty with one arm tied behind our backs. But, frustrating as this is for me, it does not excuse us in the Scottish Government from doing everything we can, with the powers and resources we do have, to tackle poverty and inequality. On the contrary, it actually makes our actions doubly important, because without further action, we estimate that UK welfare cuts could see the number of kids living in poverty rise to more than one in three by the end of the next decade. That is not acceptable, and we are not prepared to just sit back and let it happen. Of course, we're already doing a lot to support families on low incomes by, for example, supporting the real living wage, and through measures like free prescriptions, free school meals, and the widely praised baby box, and of course through our significant investments in social housing and expanding childcare. And we're already spending £100 million a year from the Scottish budget, money that could be spent on services such as schools and hospitals, mitigating some of the worst of the UK welfare cuts like the bedroom tax. Last year, MSPs unanimously backed our ambitious Child Poverty Bill, committing us to eradicating child poverty by 2030. And last week, we published a new Child Poverty Delivery Plan, outlining the new actions we will take to ensure that we're fully responding to the current challenges facing families. A lot of work and engagement has gone into this plan. We established our own Poverty and Inequality Commission to ensure that we were getting the best possible expert advice, But, crucially, we have listened carefully to the views of people with direct experience of poverty themselves. As a result of their input, we will be focusing on priority families, which we know are at most risk of poverty. Lone parents, families with a disabled adult or child, young mothers, minority ethnic families, families with a child less than a year old, and families with three or more children. And we are proposing a range of actions to support them. There is action to tackle the cost of living that families often struggle with. On top of the existing steps I outlined above, we're going to introduce new, more targeted measures, such as a guaranteed minimum payment for the school clothing grant, £1 million on new practical support for children facing food insecurity during the school holidays, and a new financial health check service to ensure families are maximising their incomes. There is action to support parents in the workplace, because we know that sustainable, well-paid work is the best long-term route out of poverty, So we will invest millions of pounds in intensive employment support for parents, building on their skills and helping to progress through their careers. But perhaps the most radical proposal is a new income supplement. Clearly, maximising incomes is an effective tool in tackling poverty, and I have some sympathy with people who asked us to top up child benefit for everyone. However, doing so would mean that seven out of every £10 spent would in fact go to families who are not living in poverty. We want to see a much more targeted approach – to maximise support for families who need it most. The income supplement is an ambitious policy, and the detail is still to be developed fully. For example, we need to consider the level at which it will be set, who exactly should benefit, and what the delivery mechanism will be, 
as well as crucial issues such as ensuring that the interactions with UK benefits is properly understood. Once it's fully up and running, it will go a long way to reducing the unacceptable levels of poverty. I don't pretend that tackling poverty is easy. I've been in politics long enough to know that there are no overnight solutions and no quick fixes to what are deep-seated problems. But I'm absolutely determined that we do not take our eye off the ball for even one moment. This article was by columnist and First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. This article from the Evening Times News on the 3rd of April 2018. Glasgow City Council ordered to inspect schools after wall collapse. This article by Max Sheen Carther. Glasgow City Council have been ordered to regularly inspect school buildings after a wall collapsed in Edinburgh. The Accounts Commission said the discovery of the faults sign files the importance of the Council in Scotland undertaking regular comprehensive structural risk assessments and inspections on public buildings to ensure the safety of service users. 19 council buildings across Edinburgh have defects similar to the one which caused a wall collapse at a primary school in the capital. A new report has revealed. Checks were carried out following the incident at Oxgang's primary school in January 2016, which sparked a temporary closure of 17 schools across the capital. By the end of January 2018, 154 properties had been checked, with 19 having been found as having issues similar to those identified at Oxgang's school. A new report from the public spending watchdog has revealed. Libraries, care homes and community centres are among the properties affected. The spending watchdog looked at the circumstances surrounding the wall collapse in Oxgang's preliminary, where approximately nine tonnes of masonry fell on an area where children could easily have been standing or passing through. A previous report by Professor John Cole found it was down to timing and luck that no deaths or injuries occurred. Investigations found ties needed to connect the walls to steel beams had not been used in some cases, leaving them unstable heavy winds. The school, one of 17 built as part of the public-private partnership, PPP, scheme by Edinburgh Schools Partnership. Checks were carried out and another City of Edinburgh Council building, with the Accounts Commission stating 154 properties had been assessed by the end of January 28. The report said 19 properties had been identified as having issues similar to those identified at Oxgang's school. It added, remedial work to address the defects identified on these buildings, which include schools, libraries, community centres and care homes, is ongoing. The buildings included one funded using traditional methods as well as through PPP and the more recent non-profit distributing NPD model. The report stressed the need for councils to ensure that standards of quality and service and building standards are maintained despite the pressure of local authority budgets. Edinburgh City Council's Finance and Resources Committee recently found £153 million it needed over the next five years to tackle the history of underinvestment and the authorities' estate, while less money being made available for work starting in 2018-19. The Accounts Commission said the incident at Oxgang Primary School revealed serious faults in the 
procurement, design and construction of the PPP schools covered by this contract, adding that these could have had life-threatening consequences. The report continued, Defects have been identified in other schools and buildings within the council estate as a result of work undertaken in response to the Elks Gang's incident. These defects are being addressed by the council. This incident highlights the importance of regular comprehensive structural risk assessments and inspections to be undertaken on public buildings to ensure defects are identified and remedied. Graham Sharp, chairman of the Accounts Commission, said that the City of Edinburgh Council responded quickly and comprehensively to the wall collapse Ox Gangs. Primary school, however, all councils in Scotland must ensure public buildings and their care are regularly checked and appropriately maintained. While reduced resources mean councils must make difficult decisions about service provision, they should have an appropriate level of expertise to deliver and safely maintain buildings. People must have confidence in the safety and integrity of public buildings. The spokeswoman for Edinburgh City Council said, We welcome the Accounts Commission's report, with addressing lessons to be learned by all local authorities following the collapse of a wall at Ox Gangs Primary. The safety of the public is of utmost importance to the City of Edinburgh Council, and we fully acknowledge the need for regular, comprehensive structural assessments of public buildings, and are in the process delivering a series of actions identified by Professor John Cole in an independent report into the closure of Edinburgh schools in 2016. This article by Maxine MacArthur. This article from the Evening Times News on the 3rd of April 2018. Police cordoned off Castle Milk Street as they deal with ongoing incident. This article by reporter Stacey Mullen. Police have cordoned off a street at Castle Milk this morning. Officers are at Wraithburn Road following the incident. Residents woke up to several police cars and a cordon in the residential street. It is understood a fight broke out inside a flat. Morson. This article by reporter Stacey Mullen. The Evening Times on Thursday the 29th of March 2018. News section. Stunning piece of Glasgow Queen Street history uncovered in station facelift. This article by Aftab Ali. This article is accompanied by various photographs of Queen Street Station's train shed. These stunning images show a lost piece of Glasgow's history uncovered during the £120 million Queen Street Station facelift. The massive curved glass roof from the Victorian era known in the rail industry as a train shed, was constructed in 1842, but sadly was covered up by the grey concrete of the Consort House building more than 40 years ago. During demolition this week, though, the lost treasure resurfaced in all its glory, much to the surprise and delight of the public. The images were shared online by the official network rail Glasgow Queen Street Twitter page on Wednesday. The post read, Hidden away for more than 40 years, you can now catch a glimpse of Glasgow Queen Street's historic train shed a relic of the Victorian Railway. Hundreds have been left in awe, questioning why it was ever covered up. Another user shared an image of the station at a time before it was covered up. Engineers have begun demolishing the redundant Consort House and the Millennium Hotel extension buildings in front of the station to make way for a new-look Queen Street. 
The two buildings need to be removed to make way for the new station frontage, concourse and entrances, and new, longer platforms being delivered. Thankfully, the train shed is a listed structure and it will not be demolished. A glass concourse will be constructed in front of it, meaning it will be visible from the outside and to passengers inside the station. The project, which is due for completion in 2020, will give passengers an expanded concourse with increased capacity and circulation space, improved customer facilities and a contemporary and distinctive building, both internally and externally. This article was by Aftab Ali. End of side one. Please fast forward to the end of the tape and turn over for side two.